0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church, or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study.
1: Amen. 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 Take your Bibles, open them to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18 and Ezekiel chapter 34. Jeremiah 18 and Ezekiel 34 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Having Your Shepherd's and Pastor's Heart. And this is servants class number two. Now, serving alongside of your pastor and shepherd, Jesus, it's very important you recognize that your pastor is the chief shepherd, Jesus himself. All of us as servants and pastors and leaders are under shepherds. We all serve the chief shepherd together. When we serve alongside of our pastor and shepherd, Jesus, it's vital that we have his heart, his pastor's heart. Let me give you insight a little bit on what that looks like from Jesus' own lips. You can just jot it down. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Listen to what Jesus says, John 10, 11 and following. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run When he sees a wolf coming, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus makes a clear distinction between a shepherd's heart and a hired hand, or you might hear this word as you read it in the New King James, a hireling. And there's a big difference between the two. They may appear to be the same for a while, but when serving doesn't line up with their motives, or danger approaches like a wolf, Jesus says the hired hand runs away. Not only does the hired hand run away, but the hireling abandons the flock when things get tough the hireling runs away but jesus says even if things get tough i'm sacrifice i've already sacrificed as a shepherd i'm going to take care of the flock and that's what's expected of us here it is necessary that you be a it's necessary that you have a pastor's heart not that you be a pastor When you hear pastor's heart, you can easily dismiss yourself like last time in our previous study together where the word minister can throw you, well, you know, I'll never be a minister or I'll never be a pastor, so these things don't apply to me. No, that's not true. The word minister just means servant and pastor just means shepherd. You don't have to have the title or the role or the position, but you must have, if you're going to take care of the shepherd's flock, then you better have his heart. There's nothing less is acceptable that you cultivate that heart. I believe if we're going to serve God by serving his people, a pastor's heart is something to start praying for right now. It's asking God to make you more like him and to help you see the church and people like he does. We learned last time that it's very encouraging to know that God will use anyone. He doesn't use perfect people. None of us are perfect. There's never been a perfect person, but God will use anyone. God does use anyone. God will use you as you yield yourself to him. He's preparing you for it, shaping you and molding you. A great picture of that is in Jeremiah chapter 18. In Jeremiah chapter 18, in the ministry life of Jeremiah, he was told to go to the potter's house. And there he would see an example which would prepare him to hear a word from God. He's in the midst and serving, in the middle of his ministry, he's serving a resistant and rebellious nation. And in this season, he says, go down to the potter's house, and there he's going to notice something. And here's what I want you to notice. There's a lot of different angles to take this section of scripture. But here's an angle I want you to consider. I want you to consider the care and concern of the potter. I want you to think through the care and concern of the potter. Of what he does with the clay. And how, he care, how careful he is taking that lump of clay and making it into something useful that has great usefulness. Useful and usefulness. Notice with me in verse one of chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Three parts. To this true story, three parts that will help us understand the heart of the Father. Number one is the potter. And the potter here represents God. The potter is there at the wheel, which is the second part the wheel. The wheel was the tool that he used. And the wheel was useful when it was spinning and spinning and spinning. Sometimes it would spin very fast, sometimes it would spin very slowly. But as it spun, it would move the clay, which is the third part. So the potter represents God. The wheel represents life and life circumstances. And then the clay, not very valuable, very, very common. The clay, it represents you and me. It's very common. There's a lot of clay. But in the potter's hands, don't miss that. Everything that's happening in the potter's house is happening at the direction of the potter. And he says it a couple of times, the clay is in the potter's hands. Yeah, the clay doesn't have much value. It's very common. And yet in the hands of a skilled potter, it becomes a vessel that is both useful and has great utility or usefulness. And what a picture of our lives. Very common, most of us, we're living our lives you know, in rebellion to God, and then God took that lump of clay and plopped it on the wheel and began to fashion and mold our lives. This is the illustration that's given to Jeremiah as a message to the rebellious nation. Check out the potter, see what he's doing, and here's the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was, O Israel, can I do with you as with this potter? It's a statement of God's sovereignty, God's right. He has the right to deal with the nation just as much as the potter has a right to deal with the clay. And basically the message from Jeremiah is, look, you're resistant and rebellious, but if you turn back to me, I'll receive you. I'll take you back. But it also speaks to us as we bring it down a level by application. And that is God has the right to do with you whatever he wants in every area of your life. You're the clay, you're not the potter. Later on in the New Testament, Paul will pick up on this and say, you know what, what right does the clay have to say anything to the potter? And yet so much resistance and rebellion. I'm not naive enough Uh, being a pastor and a fellow believer, I'm not naive enough to know that in this room and every other service, there are resistant, rebellious people among us. Resistant to the will of God and to the ways of God and to the calling of God in your life. And can't you just hear the potter? Can't you just hear the potter? He's saying, no, just relax, relax. But we get so caught up with circumstances and difficulties, and it would be very scary, the whole scenario would be very scary if we didn't understand who the potter was, knowing his character and his nature. This is why we pray and why we read the Bible, to get to know God better, not to learn a bunch of religious activities, but the more you love God, the more you know God, the more you love God, the more you love God, the more you know him. You're naturally drawn to people you love, And do people you know love you? And we know from the Bible characteristics of God, that he's holy and good, that he's just and loving and righteous and faithful. Psalm 25 verse 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Psalm 19 verse 9 speaks of the fear of the Lord being clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. We know in the New Testament in 1 John that God is love. We don't need to be afraid of his work in our lives. What he wants to do in and through us. We know that he's good. We know that he's faithful. And that means you can trust him with your life and stop fighting his plan for your life. You can choose to surrender and to submit and to yield yourself to the potter's work as the Father is molding and shaping us, sometimes it's just so exciting. It's just so wonderful. You think of when you were a new believer, you're thinking about that new believer's zeal, and you just, man, God, you've delivered me. You've taken me out of the pit, out of the miry clay. You removed that addiction. You removed my anger. You removed so much of my life, and mold me, Lord, shape me, Lord. It's such a wonderful time to know that God is working, in it, and so much we love, We're encouraged. But then, like with the potters, he's watching this particular event in verse four. Everything's being shaped into the vessel that the potter wants. And all of a sudden, it says the vessel he made of clay was marred. You might have a note in your Bible that this word means ruined. The vessel he was making was ruined. But don't forget, don't miss we, get, we focus so much on the ruining that we forget that it's ruined in the potter's hand. God is still there, even though the bottom falls out, even though great failure has taken place. Everything collapses. I've seen this with potters watching them work and then seeing a little mistake and they stick their thumb in it and it destroys the whole thing. But they don't in a disposable culture like we're in today. I'm so grateful that God doesn't, neither does this potter nor does our God take that lump of clay and just throw it away and say, it's the clay's fault. And we would we, we just throw it away. We don't need you anymore. No, what does he do? It says, it was marred and ruined, but he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. He builds you up and now you're something new, the God of the second chance, the third chance. He's ready to refashion and remold you if you'll come to him in repentance and humility and brokenness and stop fighting him. He's ready to do it again and do it again and do it again because he's faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this brokenness, this difficulty, I mean, it it comes on the wheel. And being on the wheel is not all that fun. Sometimes the wheel spins so fast. And getting dizzy doesn't doesn't work for me. I don't know how it works for you. But when I get dizzy and I'm spun around, uh, something happens. I'm not going to describe it to you, but it's not good. I don't do well getting dizzy. I mean, even if we were to go to an amusement park, now I'm not going in the teacups. You know, I'm not going on Dumbo ride. I'm not going around. I'm not getting dizzy. But life can be like that sometimes. The wheel's so fast, so fast, so fast, so fast, and we just don't know what God is doing. We don't know what is happening. And if we're feeling God work and shape it, and then, boom, the bottom falls out. We know what that looks like in our lives? Sometimes... Things are ruined in your life because of your own sinful choices. And the only way out is you have to take responsibility for your sinful choices and repent. It it won't come any other way. And that's hard to admit that what I'm going through is because of me. This is, it's me. It's it's not the wheel spinning and it's, it's me. It's, I'm the one. It's because of my sin. But you know, other times, other times... The difficulty you're facing is because of someone else's sin, someone you love or care for, or someone close to you, or someone has chosen to rebel against God, and you have to deal with the consequences, and your life is marred in the potter's hands. Many times, it's a combination of the two, living in a fallen world, facing temptation. It's all sorts of things surrounding, but we're, but we're in the potter's hands, this is an important illustration on at least a couple different angles for the sake of our church and serving in our church number one all that we're describing here the the unpredictability of life the damaging effects of sin the for many people they don't they're not even in this like the spinning the spinning of the wheel and the hands of the potter is actually just to bring them to the end of themselves so that they'll, they'll repent All of these illustrations represent the people that come into church, the people you're going to be serving. This is their lives that are messed up and ruined. I'm not going to ask for hands, but many people come to church on the heels of some devastating situation. Then they turn back to God. I know that's how I walked into a church. I walked into a church with my marriage in shambles and my wife ready to leave me. I walked into a church just after I got pulled over and ticketed for, for another, another crime committed while driving on top of the other ones. Now I'm facing jail time because of my sinful behaviors. And everything's fallen apart. My finances, my marriage, my life. And it was in that moment of time that my phone rang out of the blue from someone I hadn't spoken to in forever who invited me to church. So you got my life falling apart, and an invitation to church. And I walked into a church just like this in Southern California. Calvary Chapel in Downey, California is where I walked in. And I walked in hopeless. And God met me there. Well, the same thing happens here. You may be here today because at different, different circumstances, same end. You don't know what to do with your life. The world, what it promised, didn't really give you anything, you did some things on your own, didn't really, like, you, you're you at a place where you need to come to faith in Jesus. And you need to be met by men and women in a church that will love you and serve you with the heart of Jesus. Super important. That's one application. The other application is more personal. This is your story. While you're serving others, God is shaping you. Serving others gives exponential growth in your spiritual life. You grow very, very quickly when you learn to sacrifice yourself and think of others more highly than yourself. When you start to schedule your life around other people's needs and not your own needs. When you're patient with others, when you show preference to others, when you walk in humility, God grows you up very quickly. You're not like the hireling. That when things get tough, you just run away and abandon the sheep. No, you're in it with them because we're sheep too. And we're not going to run away and we're not going to abandon. But we're going to stay with you. We're going to be used by God in your life. And it's very important that you step into serving because that's a place where you will grow quickly. Not only that, there's a third illustration I think is important, especially when it comes to being marred and built up into something else. And that is, no matter the condition of your life today, believer or unbeliever, God is not finished with you. He is still working. He's not through with your life, not even close. Sure, it might be a real mess right now, not where you really thought you would be or what you expected at this stage in life, but God is still at work. And the process begins all over again as he remakes us into new vessels that please him. Hey, Jeremiah is coming and going, look, Israel, God wants to do a new work, but you, he's not, not going to be able to do it without your cooperation. And it's a beautiful thing about the clay is the clay on the potter's wheel doesn't have legs and can't run away. Like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want anything to do with you, God. There's nothing. Once you're plopped on the wheel, you're going to be exactly what God desires you to be. And as he shapes and molds you, it's a beautiful picture. God wants you to be moldable and soft in his hands. Because if a person has a hard heart and stubbornly resists God, then God has a right to deal with that stuff, that stubborn, stiff clay. So don't resist him. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Another illustration of moldability with the potter comes to us from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, listen. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands? Now again, theologically, theologians over the years have made made this to say and to be something really much more complicated than it really is. God is saying, I'm ready to work in your life. Don't resist me. Enjoy my work. And I know it can be difficult and hard and sin will wreck it, but I'll rebuild you. I'll work with you. You submit yourself, you surrender, and I'll work with you. And that's the beautiful work of the ministry in our church. And you can see how important it is. You've got to have the heart of God because people come in really hurt and broken and messed up over years of this stuff. Pastor's heart, what does it look like? Well, we see a little bit of insight from Jesus, but I want to show you something in Ezekiel 34. Would you turn there? It's to the right of Jeremiah, just a few pages, Ezekiel chapter 34. We want to serve with a pastor's heart. Remember, you don't need to be a pastor to have a pastor's heart. When I think of a heart of pastor or a heart of Jesus, I think of compassion, care, concern, someone that sees needs, wants to help, doesn't wait to be asked to do something, someone that's selfless, someone that's self-sacrificial, someone that's learning to live a life of self-denial, A heart that's soft, moldable, pliable by God. A a heart that is connected to the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And here in Ezekiel 34, we see, first of all, what a pastor's heart is not. He starts with the negative. Again, Ezekiel, another prophet of God, speaking on behalf of God, has a very strong word of rebuke and indictment, to this group of spiritual leaders using the illustration of shepherds. So notice with me in verse one. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you don't feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. And notice what happened because of bad leadership. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep, verse six, and don't miss that word in verse six. Circle it, mark it, write a star next to it. The sheep belong to God. When you are serving in the church, you're serving in this church, the sheep belong to God. You and we are the precious sheep of God. They don't belong to you and they don't belong to me. And he says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains, on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. In a real way, no matter what our title is or what role we have, we are all under shepherds. We serve the chief shepherd. The flock belongs to him. He bought you and he bought me. Therefore, he owns us by his own shed blood. The flock belongs to God. And notice, I want to give you now 10 things, if you're taking notes, 10 things that mark a person without a shepherd's heart. You're wondering what a pastor's heart is or what does it look like? Well, here's 10 ways it doesn't. This is 10 ways that mark the person without a shepherd's heart. Number one, selfishness. A person that's heart isn't connected to God is very selfish. We see that here where it says, in verse two, that you feed yourself. You fed yourself, it's the, the, the indictment was is they fed themselves and not the flock. They don't care about other people's need, they're selfish. Number two, they used people. They, they used people, they used their position to manipulate and use people. We see that here where they, it says they ate the fat and clothed themselves. They took advantage of the people. For, their, for themselves. Thirdly, they took the best. It says that they slaughtered, notice, the fatlings. That would be the best of the best. They took it for themselves. Why? Because they chose to think of themselves. They were selfish, manipulative, and they took the best. Thirdly, notice, or excuse me, fourth, they, they ignored needs. They ignored needs. How do we see that? Well, the weak were not strengthened. And the weak are pretty obvious. You can tell the difference between a strong sheep and a weak sheep. And when you saw that, when they saw that, they ignored it. Which is what Jesus would, what Jesus would condemn many years later when it comes to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where the religious leaders, they walked right on by ignoring his needs. But it was the Samaritan that stopped and served their needs. One of the, things that I teach the school ministry here and the servants and leaders that serve alongside of me, and now you through the servants class, anyone that has ever taken the servants class now knows this, that the greatest tool that you have in serving others, besides prayer and reading the word, the greatest, I put it this way, the greatest practical tool you have, we take all the spiritual things that are already part of your life, but the greatest practical tool you have that would be helpful for you to hone in on and improve is the gift and the ability to make good observations. Observations are the greatest because what you see will then move you how you act. If you don't see it, then you won't act on it. And then if you see something and you ignore it, then it's even worse. It's just like Bible study. When you learn how to study the Bible like we did, you take what's known as the inductive Bible study method that has three parts to it, every text. You observe the text, and you make as many observations as you can. As you're just reading the text, it says this, it says this. You make observations, and then you ask questions to get to the one interpretation, and then once you get the right interpretation, then you can apply it so many different ways, But if you don't make your observations correctly, you'll never get to the right interpretation. You gotta make the right observations. And I'm telling you, if you will just look around, you'll see more than enough people and needs that God would use you to meet, both in the church and outside of the church. God has dropped you into this generation for his purposes, for his good. He's making you into the vessel for his good. So don't ignore needs it won't help you serve well. Number 5. Not only did they ignore needs but they disregarded pain. They disregarded pain. We see that when it says the sick were not healed. You didn't even take care of the sick? You ignored you ignored the weak and then you didn't even take care of the sick. And they're being they're being rebuked for it. Number 6, they closed their eyes to the hurting. We see that with the broken's not bound up. They close their eyes. We're not, I'm not even gonna deal with it. These are people that were entrusted to take care of others. I mean, if you put this in different, if you put these things in a different context, for example, if, if this was an indictment against a medical doctor, you don't wanna deal with the sick. You don't want to come to your appointments. You don't even show up for work anymore. You can see that what a doctor was designed to do isn't doing it anymore. And that's the same in the church. Those that have chosen to serve, like you have, God has given a direction for us and it starts with his heart. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know every page of the Bible. You don't have to go to seminary or Bible college. Just read your Bible and pray every day and follow the leading of God. And he will use you everywhere you go. You don't want to be on the other side of this where you close your eyes. Number seven, another indictment was they paid no attention. You can see it's closely related to making observations. They didn't pay attention. And you know when you don't pay attention, bad things happen. When you don't pay attention to the details. It's a mistake that is made all too often. And we see that because those that were driven away, they weren't brought back. Didn't even pay attention to them. Number eight, they refused to help. The lost were not sought after, it says in verse four. They refused to help. Number nine, this one, this one is really bad because they did with, it says, with force and cruelty. So they were harsh and angry in their leadership. And that, there is no place for that in the church. Now I can say definitively, there is no place for that in this church. The people of God are to be served in the patience of God and the love of God. And nobody, starting here with all the rest of us, has permission from God to be harsh or cruel to the people of God. Just not going to happen here. It's not from the Lord. And then number 10, another thing that they were condemned for, they're rebuked is because of their carelessness. Their carelessness. Selfish, manipulative, took the best, ignored needs, disregarded pains, they closed their eyes to the hurting, they paid no attention, they refused to help, were harsh and angry and careless. How would you like to attend a church with leaders and servants like that? Come to our church, we are the worst people in the whole neighborhood. We won't care for you, we'll take advantage of you. I mean, it doesn't, it, 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 even a lost world expects more from the church than that. And how does God use us that way? He drops in us his heart. And if I had to summarize, like in a very quick, short little phrase, what a pastor's heart starts with, or how it grows, it would be this, that you just care. You just care. You care about your relationship with God, and you care for others. How did Jesus say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors, yourself. That you care. Because if you care, then you will be open. If you care for the person, maybe, you were, maybe today you were sitting there and during the songs, the person next to you was crying. Well, God could use, if you care, God could use that care to reach out to the person sitting next to you and find out what's happening. Or you might be with someone and they're just you know, not paying attention and they don't really care what I'm saying and they're waiting to see what time. If you care, that may, may lead you to ask some questions later today. It's like, are you all right? Because you seem really uncomfortable today. Because you care. And it's not just for the sake of information. It's, not, it's because you care. It's because you care about their soul. It doesn't care if they pay attention to Bible study or if they even like the church. You care about their soul. It's the soul that matters. And when you care, I mean, everything's opened up. God will show you things you've never seen before. He'll reveal things about people that you've never known before. He'll give you the words. You're like, well, I don't know what to say. Jesus said, don't worry about it. I'll give you what you need in the moment. Just get to the moment and I'll give it to you. The bottom line in ministry, serving in this church, is that you care, that you love God, you love your neighbor. Serving God here is not about titles. It's not about positions. It's not about power. It's not about climbing any kind of ladder or being more important than other people. It's not found in canvassing for position, uh, dropping some political power play. It's, It's not about making a name for yourself or drawing people to yourself. We are learning in the servants class that serving is about... Serving, dying to yourself, self sacrifice, taking the lower position no matter what title you might have, what responsibility you might have. And here are some things to think about as we close in your personal life about developing your pastor's heart. Four simple things. Number one, are you faithful? Are you a faithful person? Because faithfulness is a hallmark of God. Number two, are you available? Are you available? God to us is always available. That's He's attentive to our needs. Now, are you available? Faithful, available. Thirdly, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Because we always have something to learn. We're always going to be growing from glory to glory and strength to strength. And are you humble when you need to be corrected? Or you got to learn something because you made a mistake and there's going to be a lot of mistakes serving God. Are you teachable? Because God is ready to instruct us. And number four, Are you spiritual? Not a poser, not just putting on airs, but you have a real relationship with God and you're growing in that relationship. You now seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. One more scripture. Turn over to Luke's gospel now in the New Testament in chapter four. Luke chapter four. Jesus comes into the town of Nazareth Spent his life, the first years of his life growing up here. He comes back home. He was brought up, it says, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And as custom, he came into the synagogue. He was given the book of Isaiah, and he opened it and started reading it. And as he reads this, we see exactly why he came. And listen, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It sounds almost point for point about, against what was condemned in Ezekiel 34. This is the purpose of the church on the earth today. These very things. If this is all you spent your life doing, you would have invested your life very well and very eternally. This is all you chose to do the rest of your life was to minister to the poor and to help those that have broken hearts. Those that are captive to try to help them released. Recovery of sight to the blind, spiritually and physically. To those that are oppressed, to lead them to liberty and to preach the gospel, the good news that your sins can be forgiven. It's a good way to invest your life. And that's what we invite you to when you serve here at this church. You're serving a lot of broken, hurting people. Some of you are those broken, hurting people that it's just been hard. Hard upbringing, hard life, hard home. I mean, This world is hard. But hard is always met with the hope that's found by faith in Jesus Christ. That you are not a victim of your circumstances, that you can be in the potter's hand and he can take it all. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle would say to the Roman believers, he would say, we know that all things work together for the good. God's working all things together for the good, for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. And there's nothing we can do about our past. Changing our past You know, we can change our past as much as we can unscramble an egg. It's not going to happen. But you know what? We can move forward. And we can live today and anticipate what God wants to do tomorrow should He give it to us. So I invite you to serve. I invite you to stick around. Plug in. And let God use you in ways you never, ever, ever thought. I mean, some of you, I just think, I'm just so excited. Some of you are writing a little card. You're going to put it in the box. And that little card... Putting it in the box is going to spark a missionary heart that you never knew you ever had. And you go, no way, Ed. Oh, yes way. Yes. Well, what if he sends me to the middle of the jungle somewhere? I don't want to go there. You still got to get to know God. He doesn't play games like that. He doesn't say in your prayer life, what's the one place you would never want to go? I'm sending you there tomorrow. God's not like that. Either a, he'll send you a place like he'll send you a place that'll bless you. But if there's a place you don't want to go, he'll he'll gently shape and mold your heart. Then all of a sudden you're like, where are you going? Well, I'm going out here to the middle of the jungle somewhere to preach the gospel. But you said you never wanted to go there, and you're like, I know, but I want to go now. God's not going to be messing with your life. He loves you, wants to use you greatly. If you just trust him, Amen. So, Father, thank you for this uh, time. I know it's beautiful and wonderful as we learn how to serve you. And uh, you've got so much going on in the room today that I'm so grateful that you know it all, you can take care of it all, and that you would just, I mean, seriously, I mean, the fact that you would even use us is amazing, that you would shape us and mold us. I pray for those today that the wheel's spinning out of control right now and they're just scared and they're mad and they're frustrated that you would just give comfort and peace to their hearts today. There's some grieving among us, and so I pray comfort to the grieving hearts. There's some brokenheartedness. There's prodigal kids are breaking hearts right now. So I pray for the broken hearts, and I pray for the prodigals. Get them home. Families are disintegrating, and division now in the homes because of the gospel It wasn't there before. And on and on the list goes, God. We commit them to you. We trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church.
0: We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety, or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church, or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.